Thank you for tuning into the Dynasty Movement Podcast. I am Uncle Cheese, your host for the evening, and joining me tonight is our server's very own Ghost of June. I would also like to welcome anyone listening who may have ventured here from the Reddit link that June shared in the Dynasty Fantasy Football sub. Uh, first and foremost, June, how are you? What's going on? Oh, man, doing good, doing good. Uh, just... Uh relaxing this evening after I got my seven miles in for the day, so, you know. Wow. Living the dream. I hear you, man. I hear you, man. Well, it's, it's rookie draft season that, you know, it's it's upon us. Um, before we get into these ranks, have you participated in any rookie drafts at all yet, or do you have any scheduled on the uh, near horizon? Well, uh, ironically, uh, some of the nearest rookie drafts I have are going to be in June. Um, <laughs> just the way our league works out, uh, especially, um, I'm in a few different home leagues, and a lot of us have camping stuff that happens in May. So to accommodate everybody, we, we always push them back a little bit, which kind of stinks because as I've been watching these different drafts that have been going on, there is a lot of volatility in, like, uh, the late first in, in one quarterback and, and even some of these guys going a lot earlier than I think is good. But I kind of wishing that our our draft was earlier because I've got two one and two three in my one quarterback rank or by one quarterback league and shoot if I I think I could get a lot better value today than I'm going to end up getting when we finally do it because guys start watching the you know the, the ADP and then picking according to that too yeah they, they kind of get hip to it even if they're not so into it right now alright well uh, as everyone knows here June did a deep dive into the 21 rookie class post-NFL draft and has created his own top 50 rankings for both one quarterback and super flex leagues that he has graciously decided to share with us. Uh, and those rankings will be revealed here tonight, uh, I believe, in tiers. Uh, additionally, June has included all not-ranked players that take the list from the original 50 uh, to 85 total players. For any of you that have rookie drafts that might be going for more than five rounds or if any of deeper leagues, you know, 14, 16 team leagues that go for four or five rounds. But before we get into that, I've, I do have a few preliminary questions for you, June. Yeah. Um, what kind of background do you have with ranking players and how does that impact how, how you do rank these players? Sure, definitely. So um, last year I started a, a rookie stock watch that I, I did on uh, Reddit. It was a combination of a, a learning experience plus a, a bit of an exercise in a different mentality of ranking. Um, so I think a lot of the general consensus for people that rank rookies um, is that they really lock into their ranking, um, you know, after the draft, and they kind of hold that for for like what it feels like a whole season practically. Um, and I think we saw a lot of that with how people, even halfway into the season, were saying, all right, if you can get a second for J-Rob, do it, right? And, and, and honestly, you could have definitely held out for a lot more value. And I, I think after the season, it would have been pretty easy to flip J-Rob, J-Rob for a late first. Uh, so my, my experiment was to try to be a little bit overreactive and see if we would catch value or catch increases. There's definitely some drawbacks to it uh, that I kind of picked up along the way, but I, I kind of wanted to go for a little bit more of a fluid ranking. Like I would go week to week, 
and really trying to see if we could catch uh, the value jumps early if a rookie started showing out. Makes a lot of sense, and I can definitely uh, attest to the fluidity of those rankings. I remember a number of back-and-forth conversations between yourself and various users this past fall. Um, that's quite the process. Um, can you walk us through your process on how you with regard to the 21 class? Yeah, so a lot of things I decided to do differently was to really uh, build a lot more of a foundation on my rankings going in. Uh, so I looked at a few different things. Uh, we had uh, the math bomb guy in here uh, a few weeks ago, and I I really think that his relative athletic score is an incredible resource. So one of the things that I factor into my rankings is that. Um, I also have, have noticed on a, a few different subs on Reddit, there's, there's been a good... Um, explanation of how um, NFL.com film grades have often had a better correlation for rookie success than PFF grades, which have often been the, the staple that people have gone by. And that, that isn't to diss uh, PFF grades, but I kind of said, all right, I want to take those two aspects, um, build them in ranking system, and that way, to give my rankings a little bit more uh, of roots, if you will, you know, give them a little bit more weight so that after the draft comes through, I've got a three-headed monster of draft cap, relative athletic score, and the NFL.com film grade. Um, I felt like that would be a good way to build these rankings. And that way, when I'm reacting in the season, um, I can kind of look at those three things and say, okay, you know what? This guy was drafted low, but he scored good in the other areas. And now he's had a couple good weeks. I'm going to skyrocket him up my chart because the things other than draft cap were predictive of success. Yeah, that seems like a good way to identify maybe some some people before they really break out and become, you know, not necessarily household names, but... You know, guys showing up on a weekly, this is who you need to add on waivers this week kind of thing uh, to kind of beat the crowd there. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I know you, you touched on this earlier, but I think it's fair to say that, generally speaking, your, your rankings uh, of rookies were more fluid than most. Um, do you think or do you expect that there will be as much movement uh, in 21, less movement, maybe the same? How do you feel about that? I think there's going to be more movement, but in the 13 to 24 range. And I think that that's because this year, it feels like once you get into the second round of either format, you start getting really shallow really quick. But I'm sure there's talent there. It's just a lot harder to figure out what it is yet. And so I think that that's really where there's going to be the most movement. Um you know, we're going to see guys like, uh, you know, Nico Collins or Anthony Schwartz, and they're, they're going to be greater. They're going to suck, you know, and we're going to find out, all right, you know, these guys had athletic profiles that we were really interested in. And, you know, either, okay, they're, they're not even playing or, you know, they're starting to put out some, you know, some like four catches for 70-yard games really early, and we need to start paying more attention. Understood. Um, makes sense. 
before we get into this first set of rookies, I do want to run through the questions that were posted in the panel created for you know this event um, to kind of lighten the mood and, and get these out of the way before we start getting into the rankings and have some feedback questions on those. So uh, yeah. to, to kick us off, we got our boy Al asking, of all the Junes, which would you rank first and why? Out of all of the Junes, yeah. uh, I know that I'd rank like June bugs last because everyone hates June bugs. Um, you disagree with that? You disagree, or you don't? No, I can't disagree. Okay, um, but shoot, I mean there actually aren't very many famous Junes. Uh, I would say that I, I do have a June birthday, and I share it with Paul McCartney. So I'd say Paul McCartney is my favorite June because we share a birthday, and he's pretty darn famous. Yeah, hard to disagree with that. Um, <laughs> another one of our questions that I don't know if this has been addressed on any previous pods, but have you ever shit your pants? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think so too. A classic, really. I I had an incident uh, a few weeks ago where before I went out for my morning, I do three miles in the morning before work starts, and I had uh, one of those uh, brand cereals that's full of fiber. Fiber one is what I had, and gotta stay regular. I, I had fiber one, and I was thinking when I was about a mile into my, my morning walk, I'm like, you know what? I should have, should have waited a little bit after eating before going on my walk. And so when I'm about a, uh, about three quarters of a mile from home, I had to have like a, a Gandalf moment where I had to like stand up straight and clench and say, none shall pass, you know, and I had to just make sure. So, I mean, we, we definitely, we, we saved it, but Oh, uh, d- dang, if I if I didn't sweat so hard that I had to sh- throw the underwear out anyway. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so you were able to get home in time, correct? I, I was, but and, and even though I technically didn't shit my pants, they they were still not salvageable. Like, I, I made the executive decision that those were never going to show their face again. Mm, soiled. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on. Do you have any draft process commandments? Uh, And if so, are you breaking any of them this year? For the example given was, uh, in quotes, thou shalt not draft any round three running back before before a round one wide receiver. Yeah, um, you know, I think that Nick in this Discord, if if you guys haven't seen one of his charts that he has on running backs uh, and hit rates, um, a good motto to have is to not take third or fourth round running backs in the first round. Um, and I do not plan to break that that commandment. I do have some concerns about maybe getting close to breaking it if I have uh, 112 or 2-1. Uh, but it would be more from the fact of denying other people running backs in a league that's running back short if I'm not thrilled. Like, if I have to choose between Tony and Sermon, that might be a tough choice for me. Um, but I think, I think I'm think i going to try to stick to that. Uh, the other one is, um, for me, is to not take third-round talent, period. 
in the first round. Um, and that I'm again, Sermon would be the possible exception. Um, but I'm going to try to not, I'm going to try to sell the pick if it's somebody, because honestly, if somebody wants Sermon and they want him enough to buy a first round pick, even a late one, I'm probably getting more value back on that trade than I actually value Sermon at. Um, and he has a good athletic profile, actually. It's just, I, I don't trust the situation and I don't trust the draft cap. Um, I'd rather take the value on the trade. Yeah, I wouldn't fault you at all for that. Although Sermon v. Tony, that might be an interesting interesting poll to post to see how people are feeling about that one. Um, all right. You have any rookies that you're prepared to bail on midseason when they inevitably struggle before going on to finish the season strongly? I think yeah. this is a Jonathan Taylor question. This is, a, this is a great Jonathan Taylor question. Um, so this year, if, if I end up with Tony chairs and he's not doing anything, I would probably try to recoup his value. I don't think he would recover, honestly. Um, another guy that I would be um, quick to jump off of is Najah Harris. Really? The reason for me is, is if that line play is so bad that he can't do anything, he's not young either. And my thought is, if his rookie year does not show out, he is going to greater in value after year one. So if we're halfway into the year and he's not doing well, and somebody is willing to pay close to what he would have been before the year, and the, and it's it's looking like, hey, this line is too much of a train wreck. Here, the thing for me at that point would really be that Naja can't control the fact that they have a bunch of guys that are terrible blocking for him. And if he can't create with no line, then that's going to be an ongoing issue, and he's going to be 25 in his second season. You know? like Or he's going to be, sorry, almost 25 in his second season. So to, to me, that's that's where I would really look at pulling a trigger. But again, it's all about value back, right? If, if you can't get something worth it, then then who cares if you're risking losing the value at the end of the year? That's probably the main lesson I've learned. Um, is that you've got to pull a trigger, but only if you have the right price. So if somebody is like, if I'm six weeks into the year, right, and Najah hasn't cracked 75 yards and he has played every game and somebody offers me two seconds, uh, sorry, two firsts for him, I just pull the trigger. I just say, listen, we'll recycle it. Even if those are late firsts, maybe. I, at that point, again, he's there's the risk that his season's going to bomb and he's not going to be worth nearly as much at the end of the year. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm hearing this correctly here. Najee Harris, a week, what was what was week four or five? No, if I say six weeks in and he hasn't cracked 70 yards. You know, if, he, if it's six weeks in and he hasn't rushed for 70 yards in a game, or he's rushing for like 3.3 a carry, like if it's one of those things where it's like, okay, and you're watching the games, right, and he's being hit in the backfield every single time, I honestly, I interpret that as, well, you can't fix this line. And I do think there is the possible narrative that Pittsburgh's line is so bad it's not fixable. Like, it's going to be a multi-year project. And after you've got multi-years, how old is Naja then? You know? That, right. That's a thought. Man, there might be some, some triggered Steeler fans in here. No, I mean, I, I know at least one that, that probably doesn't like the prospects of how their line will be. 
Well, I, that's probably fair. I just, I kind of feel like he's going to get so much opportunity that it would be hard for him to face play, but I guess anything is possible. Um, yeah, the, to me, again, that key would be how do the games look six games in? If it looks like there's no way this guy is going to be able to produce, and it's like, okay, this wasn't Snell. <laughs> it wasn't that Snell was bad. It was that nobody's blocking. We, Yeah, we need to think then. Understood. All right. Moving along. Who is your QB1 in this class, and why is it Trey Lance? I mean, I got to think, in one quarterback, for the price, I love Trey Lance, and I think he's the best value. And so I'm, I'm trying to find a way to answer the question, right? So Trey Lance would be my number one value for a quarterback in one quarterback leagues because you're going to get him much lower than Trevor Lawrence and you have the chance to return a guy that's going to be a borderline first-round value and you're probably going to get him in the middle to late second. So that that's my way of finding a way to say that Trey Lance is, is my one. <laughs> there you go. Is it more... Influence, do you think, by his rushing ability or his landing spot, or, or, or both, really? So, I mean, you look at the, the the top four drafted quarterbacks, and only one landed on a franchise that belongs being in the NFL, and that to me is that's crucial, right? We have three franchises that are absolute. Like, if this was Premier League, they'd be relegated by now. Like, they wouldn't be in the NFL anymore. And so Trey Lance landed in the one team that's actually somewhat competent and he has tools and he has upside. So for me, all of those different things together, um, that that would be why I feel like that value is there. Understood. All right. Um, I think that pretty much wraps up the questions that we have posted in the channel so far. So, I will turn it over to you if you want to start going through uh, the first tier of your rankings. Yeah, so we're going to start with the bottom. Um, I'm going to throw in, I'm not going to really talk about it, I'm going to throw in the unranked players so people can just see them, but I'm not going to really comment on them. Um, And then I'm going to drop right in now the uh, ranks 37 uh, to 50. So I'm going to kind of go inverse order, bottom up. Um, For me at 50... I've got Chris Evans. Um, part for me is just that this guy has a high talent profile, um, and you don't know what's going to go on with Mixon and Cincinnati long term. So I like a guy like that as insurance. Uh, Revan Jordan is just like again we're, we're drafting late here, so he's a guy that I like um, to see if he somehow remembers how to play football. In the sense that his, his athletic testing was so bad that you know he can could maybe still be good despite that um then you got a bunch of different guys here that are peppered in that are just they're honestly the reaches um that just they have a chance to shine uh like sage seth uh felton all those guys in there that i kind of look at as eh, there's something there that could turn into something so if you've got a deep draft that's drafting four or five rounds you know these are guys that you're hoping maybe falls to your fifth round pick in a in a, in a super flex league Fair enough. Do you have a favorite of that tier or that bunch? Um, Talent-wise, I, I like Wallace the best in that tier. His situation is terrible. And so I just, I'm really worried about his opportunity to play meaningful 
football on a Baltimore team where he's going to be the, th- the third or fourth receiver at the best. Um, I, I'll, so between him and, and Cornell Powell, and that's Powell is probably just the, the Chiefs fallacy that you're like going to throw away a pick on a guy that maybe he and, uh, you know, he, he finds a way to be a, a target hole. Um, but I mean, those are my guys at that point, probably. Um, I could go Homer and go Kylan Hill, but frankly, I just think he's probably nothing more than a future handcuff to Dylan if Dylan's the guy in a year or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Um, any thoughts on, well, you mentioned Cornell Powell, but do you think there's a chance that he could just get buried there? I mean, you got guys like Demarcus Robinson, and I mean, they're just jags on the, the Chiefs' depth chart. Uh, is there any chance that he could beat them out? Well, I think Powell's a jag too, but yeah. he did have an all right film grade. Uh, it's one of the things on there that that's one of the better film grades that you're seeing that low in the in the the draft. He has an all right uh, athletic testing. It is RAS of seven point five eight. Again, when you're looking at these numbers, there, he's got a bit more green uh, on his profile. So to me, if I'm throwing a dart this late, it's like, well, shoot, if if Wallace looks talented in the NFL, it might not matter, right? But if Powell looks talented. Well, then it matters because he's got Mahomes. So that's part of my thing, too, is, right, is if you're kind of rolling the dice on talent, but you're still rolling the dice on, well, it doesn't matter, right? You think back to, like, Chris Chambers. Anybody that watched football back when Chris Chambers played would have swore Chris Chambers looks like a really good receiver, and it didn't matter. It never mattered. You know, like, he was a wide receiver three. Why? Because he played for a team that didn't have a, a quarterback in the post-Marino era. So... Wallace would need two things to happen. He would need the situation to somehow be better, and he would have to show the talent. Powell just needs to show the talent. Mentioned Tylen there. Do you think he beats out Sammy Watkins for the wide receiver three role on that on that Baltimore Ravens team? Not year one. No, no chance in year one for me. I think uh, he's he's a he is a hold. Honestly, he's a guy that if, if my league didn't have a practice squad or if the squad was just one year, I would also be thinking twice uh, about taking him just because then it's like, well, he is one of the few receivers you're not expecting to grow in value in the first year. You're expecting it to take until year two for him to actually get a spot because they have enough talent ahead of him with, with Bateman and Watkins there. Is that a guy you would potentially target after year one? If they're not really performing, or would you kind of subscribe to that? Uh, that if a receiver face plants more or less in year one, they're just an ultimate, you know, avoid slash sell. I, well, at the, at his value, right? If he doesn't show out in year one, he's on the waivers. And so, if your league's deep enough, I would say he's worth the snag on waivers if he hasn't done anything in year one because you know Watkins isn't getting any younger, and he's had a history of injuries. So there's the chance that Wallace is going to go up. You know, there's the chance that Hollywood moves somewhere else. So if he's still on the team in year two and he's on the waivers in a deep league, yeah, I mean, he's worth a a stash for sure. Fair enough. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on, on, you know, this section of guys, but one thing I did notice was that the uh, the relative athletic score for Chris Evans looks really high. Do you have any comments on him at all? Well, I think the thing with Evans that has people a little bit scratching their head, right, is he played on a team that pretty much 
um, didn't have an offense. Um, anybody that really followed Michigan the last few years, they've been an abysmal team, right? This is, as a Wisconsin Badgers fan, you love to see it. Like, I, my favorite team is, is the Badgers and whoever's playing against the Wolverines. Um, so I think there is the possibility that, to a much lesser extent, he has a little bit of an acres effect, that the lack of production, the lack of tape is partially just because of how bad the team is. And people are going to be trying to throw a dart at what's the next J-Rob situation, like where a, a talented guy um, goes to a team and then somehow finds a way to getting playing time. And I think that Cincinnati is one of the few teams that has an established back that you could still see something changing in a year. And so you're thinking, all right, who could be the guy next year? Um, so that, I like Evans as a snag for that reason. So, yeah, no, I, I can get behind that. I, from what I've read, which is not that expensive, he had at least good size and some decent measurables. He just really didn't have the pr- production. And actually not a good thing when you're getting outplayed by Karan Higdon. Um, but, but, you yeah. know, like that same offense, you have undeniably talented people like Nico Collins and uh, Peoples-Jones that were not yeah. able to do anything because that offense was so bad. Yeah, um, their production just wasn't really there, even though the athletics, measure, the measurables were. Yeah. All right, well, uh, do you want to drop the tier in here? Are there any other talking points you want to hit on before we move on? No, no, if people have questions or comments as I'm dropping them into, I'm definitely cool with defending a point. But I'll drop the next one in here. Uh, we're going to go at 25 to 36. And again, this is super flex. So in the 25 to 36 tier, you start seeing a little bit more talent. I've got Trask fairly low, by the way. He's there all the way down at 28. For me, is that with Brady's contract, um, you're really holding a guy for a while before anything comes up. And to me, his athletic stuff was not off the charts. He had a lot of clunker games. So I'm not a big fan, but if you're getting a guy in the third round that could be a starting quarterback at some point, I still like that. Um, you see a bunch of receivers in the middle. If you notice, uh, Tutu is is my lowest player on my board who has second-round cap. Um, part of that's because I think that this guy is is going to be a gadget guy. I think he could do something valuable for teams, but I don't think it's going to be valuable for fantasy teams. Um, so uh, apart from that, too, the last thing I'll throw a little, just a note, I had Chuba was at the, the top of my last list. I kind of have a little cluster of the um, grab and see running backs. Out of those three, I'm definitely the highest on Ramondra, but that's just because New England is really hard to predict with what they do with their their personnel period so there's always the narrative possibility that they just go hey this is a big guy that can be a workhorse for us for a couple years so we'll spend a year getting him into the system and then they throw him out there like he becomes LeGarrette Blount for two years right and at that level in the draft if I get a guy that's going to give me a couple Blount years you know I'm I'm thrilled at that because I can flip that into a second or, or a second plus Absolutely. I mean, I think he led the league in touchdowns one season. Um, touching on Wouldn't surprise there, me for the Patriots. 
Uh, they're impossible to predict. Uh, touching on Tutu real quick, the note out there says worth snagging at some point solely due to draft cap invested. What is that point for you? Yeah, so, I mean, when we're in the third round, and this is a draft that feels a lot more shallow, I'm willing to take chances on guys that I don't like. And Tutu is a guy I don't like. Solely because when a team puts that much draft capital into a player, I could be wrong. Or the team could try to force the issue. He could be a low-efficiency guy that they just feed volume to because the coach wants to look smart. And when you get into the third round of a draft that's this shallow, the fact that that narrative is out there makes me reluctant to just let the guy slip. My gut is, in most leagues, you're going to have somebody that just says, ooh, second-round receiver, and takes him sooner. But if you're in a very savvy league and the league's all in that same sort of group think, and you've got to pick in the, in the middle third and he's still there, you know, at, at that point, right? Like if, if you're – like Van Jefferson fell to the fourth round in, in some one-quarterback leagues. And even though I'm not high on Van Jefferson and it wasn't, I kind of looked at it as like, shoot, if you get – if you pick like 4-3, you know, the third pick of the fourth round and Van Jefferson's there, he's a second rounder. Who knows what will happen? You know, so that's kind of my mentality. Middle third is roughly where I – I think then you got to pull the trigger on the on the draft cap. Understood. And ironically, Van Jefferson and Tutu Atwell playing on the same team right now. Um, a number of these receivers, I think we, oh, well, maybe not a number of them, but a couple of them, I think we uh, analytically were probably higher on the board. And I think we thought some of them, like on the second round, um, like, specifically De'Ami Brown. Um, do you have any takes on him at all and what you might expect from him this year? Well, shoot, he's got um, good measurables on his, his tape and his athletic score. Um, my concern is with the with Washington is that it seems like they've got a lot of guys they would prefer to target over him. And they've got a guy who can handle all the gadget work anyway. Like Gibson can handle the rushing and the gadget work. And you're going to be hard-pressed to convince me that Diami Brown can do anything better than Gibson. And I don't, that's not because I hate Diami. It's just Gibson's got a year there, and he knows the system, and Ron loves him. So, to me, I'm worried that Brown's going to have a hard time increasing his value in the first year. It's not that he doesn't have the talent, but wide receiver two on a team that has a target hog tight end, a significantly superior receiver, and two running backs that are good at catching passes, I'm worried about what wide receiver two even means in Washington. Fair enough. I mean, do you think he could well, – he's probably buried underneath Curtis for at least one season. Um, yeah. Like, do you think there's a potential or – yeah, okay. Well, and, and again, where I've got him, he's a third-round pick. If you're getting a guy that has his upside in the third rounds – you know, you want upside plays in the third round. You want guys uh, like Brown. If you're in, um, like, like, I love Collins and Brown as third-round guys if they fall there. I think Amonra is not going to fall there, but that's a guy I don't love. It's just that uh, there's no competition, right? So I think analytically, he, he showed a little less. 
But if there's no competition, he's got opportunity. So for me, I'm sure I'm low on Amonra compared to other people. But that's really about where I'm comfortable taking a guy because I'm not sold on the opportunity being good enough for for him because I don't know how good a Detroit opportunity is anyway. We, we've got all pulled in Regor, right? Regor was all opportunity oh, last we year. Have, why do we have to go there? Oh, oh my heart. Um, I'm with you on St. Brown, though. I've actually I've routinely seen him go ahead of Collins and, and, and Brown both uh, in rookie drafts so far. Um, and I think it's mainly based on the fact that people look at that hideous Detroit Lions death chart and they, they go, oh, easily be the best receiver on this team. Um, you have any thoughts on, on what his potential opportunity share might look like or what kind of quality of targets he might be getting? Yeah, so I mean, I don't think you get quality targets with Goff at quarterback. Um, you could get volume for lack of competitive receivers. By the way, Keen's number nine, 9.89 athletic should not be read. I've already fixed it. Um, my bad. Um so I think that there's definitely an upside narrative, but you don't see many fourth-round receivers showing out in the NFL. It's very rare. And there were a lot of teams that could have gone after Amonra that didn't. Remember, that fourth round, that's compensatory picks already in the third. So there's 111 guys ahead of him in that draft. Um, so to me, the chance of having Goff spiking the ball at your feet claiming he was targeting you is just not really worth a whole lot. Yeah, I can get on board with that. Uh, any other players you want to touch on uh, from this chunk here? There was a question in the chat on um, if it was difficult to, to find a spot um, for the running back that cannot pronounce his name. I'm going to uh, take a stab at it. I'm going N.A. Nwengu. Yes, I will go with that. Um, <laughs> For me, like, I have him in that same group. I have him above the other guys because of his athletic talent and the fact that he might get an opportunity. I also feel like um, he could have handcuff value where Cook goes down and you just trade him for a second. So to me, some of those guys, like... Duba and all that. I, there's like guys that are like, oh, somebody goes down, I just trade him for a second. You know, like, and yeah, I'm sure Madison's ahead of him still, but he's a guy that's going to get a chance at some point to get some runs and see what he can do. And he could leapfrog Madison at some point, or Madison could go somewhere else in a year. Um, so, and it just, those are like, running backs are so scarce anyway that I don't have any problem throwing one on a practice squad and seeing what happens. At least, again, we're talking at the end of the third in the draft. Yeah, maybe throwing darts at that point. Um, any other guys you want to hit on? Um, I'm not big on the tight ends. Uh, I think Treble is a more talented tight end, um, and so I have him there, but I think that McKinney's landing spot is so much better. Um, in the sense that there is a legitimate upside narrative. Uh, so those two guys are guys that I kind of am just like, well, there's really not much talent left already. Uh, I'm willing to dash a tight end and see. Um, but again, you got to have the mentality of holding them for a, 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 an extra year if you're going to do that. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, neither one of them really has any competition. You have Ian Thomas in Carolina, and then I guess you have Jared Cook in LA, but that's only for one year, as far as I know. So potentially something down the down the road. But like you said, you're you're likely going to have to burn a roster roster spot for at least a season, potentially right, longer. Right. Yeah. Trumbull is a guy that I honestly would say if he doesn't show in year one, he's a good buy target because he's good at a lot of things. He's not great at receiving, but he's he's a solid blocker. And he is not he's not Drew Sample. He actually can play in the receiving game. So he's a guy that if he's almost free after a year, that's a guy that I really want to grab and stash because I think that there would be a black hole of talent there. He's a guy that could be a low-end one in two or three years. Uh, and if you get him for free, that's a great way to punt the position. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good name to bookmark and stash away for a while. Uh, give a shout-out to our boy Scotty here from the server, but basically found that, which I think is mostly a widely accepted point on tight ends, that you got draft capital and athleticism is really all that we, we know how to prospect these guys. And I mean, he's got the athleticism, and it's not terrible draft capital. Why not? Yeah, and honestly, he's in the same category, in that same tier as Hunter Long. I just, uh, I'm a little bit more optimistic on Hunter Long. Um, but I think that, again, Gasecki could be gone in a year, so you've got that same mentality. Those are two guys that could be almost free after a year. Good to know, good to know. Um, any other guys you want to hit on before we move to the next chunk? Uh, we had a question on... Uh, Jacob Harris is a late tight end flyer. Um, he's not He's not a bad grab, but you would need to be in a really, really deep league. Um, and for me, I, I don't know if, if the Rams are going to be a great landing spot for that. I, I don't, again, that'd be a deep league. He's, he's on my, he's on my, my deeper rated player. He's got a really good athletic profile. So I do think if you're going to grab him and hold him, you have to expect again to hold him for a while. Um, but my my gut is you could probably leave him on waivers and get him after a year and not at not after you know a uh, roster spot. I don't think he's going to show out right away. I think it's going to be a year or two. All right, let's move on to the uh, next tier and drop those in there. Let's let's talk about some of those guys. All right, yeah, so we're going to go 13 to 24 here. All right, so in 13 uh, to 24, um, I'm going to start right away with um, my favorite guy in this list. Um, my favorite guy in this on this list is Elijah Moore. I, I think that the Jets have a talent black hole, and I think there is definitely the chance that they're going to be down a lot and if your team is down a lot then you are going to really be getting a lot of dump easy passes like slot receivers get from a rookie quarterback um so i think out of this out of this list that's my favorite guy i i do think that some people are higher on him than i am but it, but it's it's hard to justify him over the top three receivers, 
And Bateman is Bateman's the guy that everybody in this class was like, you know, the argument was like Chase and then Rondale Moore forever, right? Chase and Rondale Moore were looked at like going to be the best two in this class. Like you go back two, three years. And then, and then it was Bateman. He was usually number three on most people's boards. Um, and I feel like I could really go either or. Honestly, if you held a gun to my head, I might even take more over Bateman. But I feel like the value for what you're going to have in your league, uh, I think Bateman's going to go above more in the vast majority of the leagues. You think that's more of a draft capital? Draft capital plus name rep, uh, reputation. Bateman has had the name and the hype for a long time. Um, if he had had a good landing spot, he would. somebody might have thrown him above Smith or Waddle, you know, like that's that's his name. So, yeah, I think I think Elijah Moore is going to have a wide variance of where he's drafted to in leagues, um, especially in the early leagues, uh, like the early drafts. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to say, "All right, uh, I don't." It's a second round receiver, right? They're going to take Tony or Sermon over him. I think that that's foolish. Um, Agreed. I like I like Terrence Marshall. I'm not sleeping on him, uh, but you got to me. You got to be crazy to take Terrence over Elijah Moore. Uh, I just I don't. Elijah Moore has a chance to be the number one receiver on that team. So interesting. I mean, a number of these receivers, especially in the top tier, are guys that are are likely going off the board late first, early second to super super flex drafts. Do you have any comments on uh, that top chunk of them? You know, Bateman, the Moore brothers, and, and Marshall, and what you think of them, how they'll pan out, produce, etc. In twenty one, yeah. So I think that I think that Elijah Moore has the best path to increasing value in his rookie season. I think Bateman has the best path towards dropping in value, which is not a good thing, um, just because. I've seen people say that, okay, Baltimore, they took two receivers. They're going to be changing their system up. Uh, maybe. And even if they do, does that mean Bateman's getting the work while they're, while they're doing that? So I have some worry about where Bateman's value is going to be after his first year. I think that um, he, he could be a guy that treads water. I'm in, I'm in on his talent. But remember, we're also looking ahead. You're not, you're not planning to use rookie receivers except in really deep leagues. So you're looking at it as, all right, would I be paying more or less for Bateman in a year? And I think the odds are probably less. I think most of us even know that, even if we like him, that he's probably not going up in value after a year. But more has probably – you look at all the guys on that, that, that tier from 13 to 24, um, only Palmer has the same sort of odds of going up in value as, as Elijah Moore. For me, Palmer is more of the – he's got a really good chance of going up in value. He's got a good chance of being worth nothing. It's really a wide variance on Palmer. Interesting. Very interesting there. Uh, another uh, couple of guys here that are pretty dis- divisive. Uh, actually, it's really just the one. is Kadarius Tony. It seems like you know the film guys are in on him. Analytics guys are all the way out. What do you make of him? Well, I'm 
I'm out on him on where he's probably going to go. I think he's going to go in a lot of leagues similar to where Elijah Moore and Rondale Moore are going. I think he's going to be, you know, like on my on my super flex ranking, I bet he's probably 14 on a lot of people instead of 18. I bet some people have him right after Bateman because I think some people are, are lazy and they just go, okay, well, he's still a first-round receiver, so even though I put Bateman ahead of him, he is like my guy before the twos or my guy before the mid-twos. They have him right after Elijah but before Rondale. And for me, I, I don't suspect people are going to be overly high on him but I think they're going to maybe take him where they think he should be, but that's still a half a round too high. But again, if he's if he's dropping in middle seconds, at that point, it's the combination of he's athletic, he had a good field grade, and he was a first-round pick. If he's middle second in your one quarterback or your super flex, I don't think you feel bad about taking the guy and, and hoping that he, he shows out. Yeah, I mean, at some point, everyone becomes a value. Get a question here, Nick. Yeah, uh, about uh, Mills over Trask. Yeah, I I have both Mon and Mills over Trask because I have no doubt that they're both going to play. Really, Kellen Mond, he plays this year. One, but I think Trask is two years away from playing, and to me, that's the problem. I think that when you've got a guy that you're going to sit on for two years. I mean, I was already not thrilled at what I saw on tape. I don't think he's actually any better than Monder Mills. And so if I don't think he's even better than them, and he's definitely not more athletically gifted than them, then, I mean, what am I I'm hoping that Brady teaches him how to be an unathletic quarterback. That's good. But I, I, I am not convinced that he's actually any better than Mills or Mond. Nick is super triggered right now. Um, but do you, you, I wanted to get you to touch on that one question real quick. you think Mon plays this year, though, for Minnesota? Um, I bet he gets snaps. I, I bet that because Cousins has his, like, implosion games. So if he was able to be the backup, they they might throw Mond in there on, on an implosion game just to get him some reps. They, they could do the other route where they just protect him and leave him down. That's fine, too. But I think Bond has a quicker route to playing, and so does Mills. Understood. Well, for the sake of Minnesota pass catchers, we need Cousins to stay upright. Um, I think you can probably assume that Trey Sermon is the RB4 for most people in the class. Um, do you have any comments on his landing spot? I mean, because they also took Elijah Mitchell later. You've got Oster, Jeff Wilson Jr., Jermichael Hasty is still there. What do you make of that San Francisco running back room? I think if you if you really believe in Trey Sermon, you should try to buy him after he doesn't play. Because I think that they've got both Mostert and Wilson Jr. under contract for a year. They're not going to burn Sermon while they have those guys that they can grind. And they have never shown a reluctance to grind guys. So I think you're going to have a lot of discouraged owners after a half a season or a season where Sermon actually does not get tons of playing. And people are going to be short-sighted. They're just going to think, ah, well, screw the Niners. They didn't play my guy. And they're going to 
be willing to sell him at a loss. And I think that's when you jump on him. I think that 20, uh, 22 is the year that Sermon could really thrive. But I, So, yeah, that's where I'm, I'm at. San Fran keeps drafting running backs. Then <laughs> he's not going to do anything because then they're just going to keep splitting the workload. But he's he's the most talented of those guys, I think. Um, at least he has the he's the highest ceiling. We've already seen Mostert can be really good. He's fragile. Neffles Jr. can be randomly amazing, and he's fragile. So we'll see. Maybe Sermon's durable, but he's already kind of been fragile, too, in college. So we'll see. Yeah, rolling the dice with that one. Uh, last year, they could have went back in time and drafted Kenneth Dixon, too. The last guy I want to touch on here uh, is Amari Rodgers. Uh, the Packers front office decides to give uh, Aaron Rodgers a weapon about three years uh, later than they should have. What do, what do you make of Amari Rodgers and his outlook in this 21 season, assuming Rodgers is in Green Bay? Um, you could probably go part two with that and, and give your thoughts on what, what he looks like if Jordan Love is behind center. Yeah, so I, I actually like Rodgers either way. I think that if uh, if it's Rodgers to Rodgers, um, then personally, if it's Rodgers to Rodgers, I think that he's got a ton of potential and a really high ceiling long-term, and he's going to start showing up right away. But I think that if it's love to Rodgers, he's going to function really good as a cob-like safety valve. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, this really gets to be where – he could definitely start getting an artificially high amount of targets as as the easy guy. Um, so that that's kind of where I'm at with that. Um, so long long term, I think that Amari Rogers has a ton of potential. I think his late third round draft cap means you can let him slide a bit. You don't have to jump on him too early. And if someone else does, then somebody is falling to you. So that I mean. I honestly probably like him a little bit more personally than where I ranked him, but I also really highly value not overspending on guys. And he does have the worst um, RAS on the board at, at that point, you know? Um, so to me, it's like, all right, where do I really fit in with him? I don't want to overspend on a guy just because you know, I'm a Packers fan. So, yeah. Yeah, you got to try and set those Homer goggles to the side. Um no, I dig that. That uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, are there any other guys in this tier you want to touch on before we move to the top tier? Um, I just want to reiterate that Bateman broke our heart. Like if the Packers had got up one spot or two spots later, we would probably be talking about him as wide receiver three. Um, I really think we would because just the potential and the fact that that uh, receiving room does not have a ton of talent. Um so yeah, uh, I'll I want to touch really quick on on Nick's thing. Um, I think I think there is a difference in uh, Trask's upside that he had in games, but he he was very inconsistent. He had his great games and his implosion games, and so from a from a long term perspective, the fact that Mills or Bond are going to get time to play right away, uh, possibly, I think they have a much faster track to playing. That offsets um, that offsets the positive on Trask and the fact that they were all clustered together in draft cap. 
the fact that Trask fell to one pick away from the third to me suggests that uh, NFL teams do not think he is significantly better than Mills or Mond. All right. I'm sure Nick will have some follow or some feedback uh, questions, but we'll let you, you boys work that out after this. Um, let's take it to the top two here. Let's touch on some of these top uh, prospects and, and where they fall in those ranks for us. Sure. So I'm going to go 7 to 12 here just to you know keep people in a little bit of suspense here. Um, this was hard for me because, honestly, in Superflex, I wanted to move Chase and Pitts even higher. But when I evaluate Superflex, I really struggle to let really, really high-end quarterbacks fall. Um, to me, if you're just talking about um, talent at the position and upside, I think that Lawrence, Chase, and Pitts are all in the same tier for talent. Um, but if you're talking a super flex league and what you can get out of that super flex position, Chase could hit, Wilson could be mediocre, and they're putting up the same amount of points for you in your super flex spot. You know, so um, that that's kind of where my justification is on this. I do think if if you need a receiver or you need a tight end, you could justify uh, Chase or Pitts as high as three. I, I don't think you can go above three, but you could still kick them that high up. Um, Javante Williams, I made last moment adjustments. Denver just lost their tackle for the year. So yeah, um, so I, I had had Javante a little higher. I, I really like his talents, his upside, and the fact that he's not old, like the running backs above him on my list. Um, so that there's a decent chance you have him for a year or two more of, of career length. Um, other than that, Mac Jones, I'm not a fan. I, I at that point, it's like I'm. I'm you got to grab a guy that's going to be a starter soon, and that to me feels like the clear fifth best quarterback of the draft. I would agree with that. I mean, at 11, that's a that's a fair spot for him. I think you have a, a tier that gets to maybe about depending on your own personal ranks, maybe like nine or ten deep. And he's, he's usually like the last one in that tier or the first one in the following one. Um, did you touch on maybe Kyle Pitts here, though? And obviously, I agree that he's a generational talent. But um, just to clarify, are these ranks for non-tight end premium? They're not. not they're non-tight end premium. In a tight end premium league, Pitts is number two for me. Easily. Okay, okay. If, it, if, it's super, if it's super flex and... Tight end premium, Pitts is two. Uh, if it was tight end premium, non-super flex, Kyle Pitts is my number one. Easy. Slam dunk. Amrit. Um, I think that Pitts has so much upside with his athletic profile. Uh, Nick and I had done a little bit of chatting earlier today, and I look at it as, like, Pitts is just as athletically gifted as Vernon Davis with a better college profile, like a better production profile. He has, he's got a higher draft cap, and he's got a quarterback that has been obsessive about making his tight ends good. He's got a system that likes tight ends. He's got a team that likes tight ends so much they went and spent 104 on him. So to me, 
I would not be surprised in any format if two or three years from now we're saying that Kyle Pitts was the best player in the draft. And as much as I think Lawrence is the slam dunk 101, spoiler alert, everybody does, in Superflex, I, I think I would not be surprised if if in two three years we're talking about Pitts was the guy to draft. I saw, I think it was roughly about a week ago, it might have been even before day one of the draft, that there was some chatter about Julio Jones potentially being moved. If that were to happen, if Julio was no longer in Atlanta, how high do you think you have him? You might bump Pitts up this board here. I would say that I'd have Pitts about as high as Cheech and Chong at that point. You know, <laughs> you're pretty much, you are pretty much, um, I would say he's possibly three at that point. Um, probably four still. Probably four. Probably the first non-quarterback off the board at that point. Um, obviously, if, if the Falcons are trading Julio, uh, the Packers are like sacrificing good on an altar and getting Julio and Rodgers is staying. Um, but, yeah, I think he's then my first non-quarterback off the board if they get rid of Julio. All right, well, that's certainly a dreamland for both Packer fans and Pitts owners, but uh, I just wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, right before yeah. I go into my top rankings, I wanted to say something about Chase. This is a kind of a disclaimer. If your league starts through receivers, like if you're like a four-wide receiver league or something, you can justify Chase as your first guy off the board, too. I, re- I mean, you look at those guys, and you look at that the deep greens on these guys. You've got a, a top-five receiver, a top-five tight end. You've got relative athletic scores and film grades that are, like, spot-on delicious. If you got a, a league that starts extra receivers and you're only starting one tight end, you take Chase over Pitts. You just do. Because you're, you're always in a desperate mode to fill those receiver slots. I didn't want to tailor my rankings to all kinds of different formats, but I have seen a lot of three or four receiver leagues. So don't overthink it if your league has got a format like that. Like Chase is your first, in, in those leagues, Chase is your first non-quarterback uh, off the board. Understood. Um, I did want to touch on actually Javante Williams there, specifically with regard to Kyle Pitts. Uh, as a stance in a non-tight end premium uh, ranking like what we have here. Do you kind of get uh, any art running back scarcity as why someone might take Williams ahead of Pitts? Yes, I do. Um, in a super flex league, I'm also looking at the fact that you are getting a lot of points from other positions at that point to where odds are in a super flex league, you're only starting one tight end and a point advantage at tight end is just as valuable as not being thin at running back. So if if Pitts is a hit, he is earning you more net roster points than starting David Johnson or, or punting your RB two position a, a little bit. Like you, you don't want to be like you know trash out there, but your net points there, I think it's higher. I I also look at Javante Williams and I look at what Denver has done with running backs, and I am not confident that Denver knows how to um, be efficient at the running back position. It it made no sense to take your team from being a team that spent the least on their running backs uh, to then signing Melvin Gordon to be the fourth most roster investment in running back salaries. When you had 
when you had Lindsay and Royce, like Royce is a bust, but he was a totally capable backup running back. Like he was doing fine for a backup. And so to have Lindsay and Royce and you're paying nothing and to have Denver say, no, nope, we need to, we need to pay Melvin Gordon eight million a year to be the lead running back. And I just I don't trust Denver in that running back room. You know, Javante could look good, and they could say, "All right, well, but we like to have two running backs." You know, so that's that's part of why I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely definitely hold Pitts over Javante in any league that doesn't artificially bolster running backs. If your league is non PPR, then maybe. If your league is point per carry, then obviously, or even a half a point per carry, then obviously. But any league that doesn't artificially bolster running backs, I'm gonna I'm gonna have Pitts over Javante. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think the Broncos are the only organization that would uh, make a move like that. I mean, we can talk. We're about to talk about a guy in a situation like that here shortly. Uh, you know, putting an investment into a running back where you have somebody else doing a, a capable. To more than capable job, uh, not everyone gets to survive the draft like Miles Gaskin. But uh, real quick, yeah. let's touch on these two Alabama receivers real quick: Jalen Waddle and uh, Devontae Smith. What do you make of them? Their twenty-one outlook and so forth. What do you see going on for those guys? You know, I think I'm, I've ended up being a little bit more optimistic on these guys than what I was leading up to the draft. Uh, the fact that they both pulled top 10 draft cap is important. I think if Devonta had fallen to like 15, uh, well, yeah, yeah, definitely if he'd fallen specifically to 15 and ended up being a, a Patriot, I'd have had no trust in him. Uh, but that's just because I don't trust Patriot receivers. Um, I think that overall, the fact that they've got great tape, to me... I look at these guys and I'm like, I'm worried about weight. I'm worried about size. I am worried about how these guys, guys that just look good because there's been so much wide receiver talent at Alabama that you're screwed no matter who you're, you've got covering who because there's so much talent. I think there's a lot to all of that. There's risk with Alabama receivers because we haven't seen anybody in the group of four. I'm including, you know, Judy and Ruggs. We haven't seen anybody look spectacular at the pro level. And both Ruggs and Judy face-planted to some extent. Um, so I have concerns. I think that at this point, I would take Waddle or Devonta over Judy and Ruggs because I would roll the dice of the guys we haven't seen yet. Uh, I'm worried about the Eagles receiver room. But just because I think that maybe they have coaches there that teach the receivers to be bad at football... Um, that's, that's a, you know, a regular remark again, um, but I, I do, there's something about the fact that Waddle went before Devonta to a team that already had his quarterback. Something in me tells me that there was a conversation where they say, Hey, Tua, who do you like? I, I've got to think it was asked. I think that, that they went they were going to be okay with either guy, and they went with the guy that Tua liked. That's my gut, and if that's the case, then I think that Waddle is going to play to Tua's strengths, or that Tua believes that, and that he believes in the guy. And I think that you could definitely see Waddle, um, you could see Waddle emerging as a guy that you can't believe when, you know, late first in in, in Superflex. 
Are you telling me that a front office would actually talk to their quarterback about a personnel decision? I think anybody other than the Packers and the Texans uh, probably does. And then once once you go to Green Bay or Houston, I think these are the guys that that have the shut up and play mentality about their players. Unfortunately, still, and um, you see what happens when you tell your players to shut up, then they decide they don't want to play for you anymore. Utterly miserable. Um, real quick, I don't disagree with the rankings on on Waddle being ahead of Smith, but who do you think produces more in twenty one? Waddle's got a couple guys ahead of him that have enough talent to keep him um, functioning at best at wide receiver three for a while. Uh, so I could definitely see Devonta Smith outperforming. I I have I have definite concerns about the fact that NFL corners are not bad at playing press coverage. They're, they they are grown adults that can at least be physical. I think that Devonta Smith is going to have a hard time when he is running up against quarterbacks that are going to be extremely physical every single week. And if he is suddenly the wide receiver one on a team that is less talented at receiver than he's ever played at, I mean, I think that that's there is a narrative to where Devonta Smith completely face plants because he's not big enough to handle being the only viable wide receiver on a team. You're telling it's me that there's a chance that Rager could outplay him? No, I, I, I don't think that there's a chance that Rager could play outplay anybody other than Jaw. But I think that Rager and Jaw could both be like, all right, we'll let Devonta Smith get manhandled by the one corner, and then, then you've got Dallas getting all the catches. Yeah, you have it. I think that pretty much covers the 7 to 12 grouping here. Let's let's take this to the top six and have a look at those guys. So here we go at the top six. Um, so um, no surprise at the at the top two spots. Uh, I think Lawrence and Lance, if you're in a super flex league, I think they're going to be the top two off the board on a lot of boards. Um, I'm taking Fields over Naja. Uh, but for kind of reasons that we've alluded to a little bit um, when I've talked to you, I, I have some serious concerns about if Naja's gifting can handle the ab- absolute inverse of what he had last year. So we look at Akers, right? What did Akers have for an offensive line? Akers had for an offensive line what Naja is going to have for an offensive line. And Akers struggled to look good at times to the point where people were a little bit worried about how good is he. We haven't been able to see if he's really that great, but we also know his line is terrible, his team is terrible. Well, now we've got Naja, who played behind a legendarily good offensive line. Like, people have talked about, oh, Wisconsin Badgers, lines, they turn out running backs. Naja Harris's offensive line would make Jonathan Taylor's offensive line look merely, oh, they're all right. So Naja had such a good line, and he is now going to a team that is the opposite. They're going to a team that their line was the worst at run blocking last year, or I think second worst, and they will be worse this year unless somehow players just play better because they have less talent on the line now than they did before. They've got rookies that are coming in that they're going to hope 
can do something. They've got Pat Fairmouth that's going to practically have to play guard because their line is that bad. Um, so, I mean, I know Solar has beat this drum a bit, but I am definitely beating the drum as well. I have significant concerns about how Naja is going to adapt to a complete reversal in line quality. He's never had to play with a line this bad. So that, that to me, in a super flex league, give me the guy that I know the Bears are a bad organization and they've never turned out a good quarterback in our lifetime, but give me the guy that the Bears traded up for above a guy that is going to have a bunch of below-replacement linemen blocking for him. Understood. I mean, if things go as poorly as you think they could with that Steelers O line, what do you think that means for Najee? Like, as far as like you know, his his value, his production. What do you think that looks like? So there's an upside downside. Um, if their line is really really terrible, they're going to probably switch to a bunch of passing, a bunch of short looks again. Okay, so that could be good for a running back, but they already have a receiver that they've been pretty much feeding a ton of passes to that already has the rapport with the quarterback for tons and tons of passes. So honestly, if the line is is as bad as I fear, it actually could mean that Deontay has a 1,000-yard season on 125 catches. Like, not a good average, but like... And I, I My gut is, if the line is as bad as I think, Najah's going to get some more targets he's going to get less carries and Deontay Johnson is going to like luck himself into a like a wide receiver 12 overall because of insane volume on just endless short passes to him spicy you don't think you gets into that oh I mean sure but I think that as long as he puts enough stick on his gloves uh you'd rather have the ball in Deontay's hands than Juju's at this point fair enough um, the only other skilled player in this tier is Travis Etienne, and we briefly touched on uh, organizations, uh, you know, drafting running backs when they had, but you know, average to above average starters already in place. Obviously, James Robinson stock cratered, uh, you know, last Thursday. But uh, what do you make of Etienne and, and what this season might look like for him? Well, I think that. Some people have ETN over Wilson, even in Superflex, um, because the talent is there. Um, the upside is there. Um, I haven't said it in this conversation, but I've said it in others. If, if somebody were to tell me that a running back in this class became running back one overall, there is no doubt to me who that running back would be. That's ETN. Um, his skill set and his upside would be that. Now, at the end of the day, I don't think he hits that. I think, again, it's a little bit of a dart throw. Um, but my concern with ETN is that um, they've got to use J-Rob at some point. He's too good to not use at all. You're not going to just put ET- – ETN's not going to get J-Rob's snap share from last year. And so then there is a concern of, okay, what does that percentage break down to? Um, I think there's a real chance that ETN and, and J-Rob are a 50-50 split the first year. Um, if that happens, then ETN's value is going to solely be on how often does Lawrence check down in. I think that there is a hidden upside in the fact that Lawrence knows he can trust him. So when you've got a guy who's going to 
Lawrence is going to be playing right away. And rookie quarterbacks love their safety valves. They love their safety valves. So you're going to have – I my gut is ETN is going to get a ridiculous amount of catches, a ridiculous amount of dump-offs. And even if he's not that efficient with it, it's going to translate into points. And I think that's going to give him a safe floor. And I think then then the question is, is, is J-Rob there in a year? He should be because they're, they've got him under contract cheap. But if the team is committed to ETN – is the share 60-40 in 22. You know, so that I think that's the trajectory. I think ETN's talent is too high that the Jaguars are maybe even thinking to themselves, oh, if a scrub like J-Rob could do this, imagine what ETN could do. That's a fallacy sometimes because you're underselling your own player then. Uh, but I think they're going to give Etienne every chance to prove that anything J-Rob can do, he can do better. Do you give any... Uh credit or validity to the recent Urban Meyer coach B comments at all? I, I have never given Urban Meyer any validity or credit at all. So I, I, that's, it might get a little bit into politics, but I'm not, I'm not a fan of Urban Meyer in any sense of anything. Um, but also what coaches say versus what they do, uh, they took him as a first round pick. So I don't think ETN is their third down running back solely. I think ETN is their, third down back and anytime they're trailing guy understood let's move on then to uh, these quarterbacks here uh, Trevor Lawrence at the top nothing shocking there uh, it seems to me like Trey Lance is kind of becoming that consensus uh, QB2 um, what are the reasons you think you have him above fields because I know that's more of a discussion uh, amongst some crowds yeah, I think for me it's organizational um, quality. Uh, you've got Fields in a situation that I just... Again, when was the last time the Bears turned out a 4,000-yard passer? I, I'd love, I'd never, love a Bears... never a Bears, happened. If, if there's any Bears fans listening, yeah, it's never happened. If one of your all-time passing leaders is Eric Kramer... You're not exactly known for turning out good quarterbacks. Now, that's a little bit of a lazy argument. Fields is not Eric Kramer. Um, I think the Bears will probably be trailing a lot. That's that's the nature of the beast. But um, I just I trust what's already in place around Lance a lot more. No doubt, I think Fields has the best receiver singular. In Robinson, I would take Robinson at least in a, in a year-to-year basis over anybody that the Niners have. But I think the Niners have, they've got an excellent, like a, a world-beater tight end. They've got plenty of talented guys that Lance is going to be able to complete easy, short dump-off passes and see them do things. So to me, Lance is not going to have to do a lot. And he's gonna he's gonna have easy percentage passes because honestly that's how Garoppolo was going to be able to succeed. That's I think what they were building around for Garoppolo is like, hey, this guy can do good if we don't make him do anything. He just dumps it to Ayuk or Debo, and they just do a bunch of stuff because they're yak monsters. And so I think that Lance is gonna get a lot of that, but he's got upside that Garoppolo doesn't have. How many weeks until Trey Lance is starting for San Francisco? I think week five he starts playing. 
Seems fair. Uh, another quarterback taken very early in the NFL draft, Zach Wilson, uh, wowed everybody with his pro day. Twitter was going crazy with that, you know, rollout throw across his body. Uh, a lot of the film community had him hit really highly. Some comps were tossed out there uh, to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, what do you make of Wilson? What, what do you think about him as a prospect? Yeah, so, I mean, I look at Wilson, and I think that on his pro day, he played against a defense that was only slightly worse than what he played against in college. Uh, so I'm a little bit concerned about the fact that he really hasn't had credible opposition and that it took until this last year for him to look good against non-credible competition. So that said... Second overall pick, so I think at some point you look at it again in Superflex, opportunity is a big deal. He's going to get every opportunity to play. They traded away Darnold, um, so they're definitely going to give him chances. And one of the things that has me boosting him up a little bit is they've got a really highly talented slot receiver now all of a sudden. And I think that that's going to help Wilson because he's going to be able to develop with Elijah and I think that's going to help him turn into a better quarterback than I think some people are thinking. I've seen Wilson fall uh, all, as far as below four skill position guys in super flex drafts, or even five, like behind Javante even. I think that's a mistake in super flex scoring. Um, I think it's became the in vogue thing that, you know, we just we look at the Jets, we're like, the Jets suck. But Gase isn't there anymore. So if we're still doing Gase, then if we're still thinking it's the Gase scenario, we shouldn't be looking at it that way. I, I think that's a mistake. I think that's fair. Um, the last guy we really have on this list we haven't talked about, it almost seems boring to even talk about to talk about Trevor Lawrence just because he's been the assumed 101 for so long. Uh, but I've noticed here he's got the highest NFL Right on the spreadsheet here. What are your thoughts on him? Well, we've kind of known that he's going to be the the 101 in Superflex for a long time. You know, all apologies to the Lance Truthers. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's he's going to be the he's going to be the 101 in pretty much every single Superflex league. He belongs being there. Jacksonville now, you know, they they have shown the commitment to him that they took the running back he wants at the end of the first. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, you've got to look at this and say, don't overthink it. The guy's got this this Andrew Luck-like generational grade. Um, so you've got to say, he's your guy. He's the one that you want um, because he could very well be your 27, 30 points a game guy like clockwork. And in a super flex league, that wins championships. There it is. And that right there will pretty much conclude the top 50 rankings. Um, there was one question I wanted to get to you um, after we got through all of these guys, and that was who is one rookie that you're willing to hold on to even if they look bad in year one? Um, gosh, there's a couple guys. There's a couple guys. Uh, Bateman? Yeah. Bateman and Padath. Uh, I think I think Bateman, if you're going to invest in him, you're just looking at the talent. You're trusting that Baltimore is going to 
validates their investment in him. I think that he also gives Lamar Jackson something that is above what he currently has. And receivers often take till the second year to really flash. And in a, in a system like Baltimore, that might take a little bit. Uh, also with uh, uh, Fairmouth, I think that you've got to look at him and say, all right, year one, that line is so bad, he might be blocking whenever he's playing. And so he might really torpedo in value. In which case, if you invested in him, you've got to believe in the tight end long term. And I think that he is, I think if he had been in last year's draft, he would have been easily tight end number one. And I think that in this draft, you just, you got a generational guy, but he was the no doubt tight end two uh, for me. So those are two guys that you just got to, to me, you've got to hold on to them uh, if they don't show up. Awesome. All right. That sounds good. Do you want to touch on the NSC Stockwatch five up and five down guys real quick at all? Oh, yeah. Um, let me just pull that up really quick. I've got that. So um, this is going to be in the Reddit post uh, tomorrow. Um, so really, when I, when I do the Stockwatch, I talk about the guys that really changed in value uh, compared to before and after the draft. Um, I'll start with the guys that are down. I think they're pretty obvious. Uh, I think Wallace, shoot, we thought he could have been a second-round pick maybe, um, or third. The fact that he goes to the fourth and goes to Baltimore just absolutely obliterates his stock. If you were in a league, and I, and I hate these kinds of leagues, but if you're in a league that drafted before the NFL draft, just to put you on pins and needles for the NFL draft, you if you bought Wallace, you're, you're crying. I think the same with Gainwell, because he would have been a second-round pick in those types of leagues. And now he fell all the way to the fifth, and he's going to be behind Miles Sanders. And, and sure, maybe maybe they decide to kind of do split roles because Gainwell can do a lot of the same things. But that doesn't translate to a good fantasy guy. Um, Mac Jones, because if you're drafting him before, you were baking in that he's going to be a Niner or that he might be a Niner, and he's not a Niner. Uh, so that's severely, you know, if you're falling from the third guy off the board to now the back end of the first, that's a huge value drop. Uh, Brevin Jordan is my fourth biggest uh, stock drop. I mean, he just went to a team that doesn't care about their players in Houston uh, that might not have a quarterback in Houston. That, you know, if the NFL is great, just might not have a franchise in a few years. I'm just kidding about that. Um, but I, I know Diablo will appreciate that. Um, but that's that's a huge drop, and I think that uh, fifth-round capital means it's unlikely that Brevin Jordan is ever anything. And, and the same thing with Seth Williams falling uh, so far. What did he fell thick in the sixth, right? Yeah. yeah. The, in compensatory sixth, too. Like, we're talking, like, the 35th pick of the sixth round uh, to a team that's got a crowded receiver room already. Um, so those are guys that... You know, again, you might have been taking in the, you might have taken Seth Williams or Brevin in the third in drafts before the NFL draft. Now they're like, they're barely fourth rounders, if that, at this point. Um. So yeah, any thoughts on any thoughts on that? Um, do you think Seth Williams could beat out Tim Patrick for that be the wide receiver three spot in Denver? Um. 
Well, Fant is going to be target three, too. You know, like, you got three guys that are going to be above him on the pecking order. I don't think the wide receiver spot in Denver is worth owning. So I don't, I don't, I also don't think he beats up Patrick in the first year. Tim Patrick has shown a relatively high amount of plug and play ability. Um, he's been able to fill in for injured guys and just teams. I, I think this is Denver. So they don't really value, I guess, plug and play ability with, with how they treated Lindsay. But I got to think that they maybe are a little smarter on the receivers. So I, my gut is Seth Seth Williams is a guy that might not make the roster. Not that he's not talented enough, but just when you're six round guys, they, they fail to make the roster all the time. Uh, he could be the guy that's like on the roster but not activated for games. So, yeah, again, end of the fourth round, if you could trust his talent and take him, but I I, I worry that he's never going to really see significant NFL time. There, I think their chatter about him was – it took him for special teams ability too, so that's a yikes for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any other comments you want to make on those guys before we go to the, the guys that actually increased in value? No, I think I'm I'm on those guys overall. I think the one I'm most disappointed with was Gainwell. Um, not because I thought he was going to be great, but because I was hoping that he would push other value down the board by going high enough. Um, and so the fact that he landed where he did pretty much torpedoed any chance that he could knock a receiver, I really liked, you know, further down. His chance of being a back end of the first, if he had ended up in, like, Atlanta, even as a third-round pick, uh, you know, would have been awesome. So that's my that's probably the one I'm the most disappointed in of those I five. I think that's fair. There, there was a lot of uh, buzz also about, you know, all these Memphis running backs coming out and having – mild success or at least you know decent hype coming into these drafts though you know and to see Gainwell just get fifth round draft capital I mean that's got to just be just deflating I, I mean I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up being the best player taken in the fifth round and ends up turning out a bunch of like he could have a Jamal Williams type of career where he's never like amazing for anything but is really turning out value the fact that he's almost guaranteed to not turn out dynasty value now it is frustrating yeah, it basically just comes down to you're you're grabbing him, waiting for injury to Sanders, and then trying to flip at that point. Yep. All right, well, let's move on to the guys that increased their value here. Let's get some more optimism going. Sure, sure. Uh, so my, my code number four and five on the, on the ups are, are Sermon and Carter, and I think they are the obvious increases because uh, they landed in spots where with Sermon – you're, they're already thinking, all right, you know, he's going to be in that next group of running backs. And they landed in a spot where the competition is two fragile guys. So his path to playing time is there. I think some people are going to really debate Carter being the higher guy because you, you've got Holman and, and uh, Pirine there. And I think that Carter, um, there's no reason to think that Carter couldn't beat them out quickly and be the starter by the second half of the season. Um, I don't value them as high as they're going to go in drafts, but they were nothing burgers before this for me, and now they're they're a lot higher. Um, so that that to me, those are obvious big jumpers. Um, I think Josh Palmer belongs being on the up list. I'm sure that. Uh, Solar will, loves to hear it. He's a big Palmer fan. Uh, you know, Keenan Allen's still going to be the guy there, but 
they don't have a lot after him, and there's there's definitely chance for a guy to really grow alongside Herbert and end up being a reliable dude. And so I like Palmer. I mean, there was no chance Palmer was even going in the third round. I think in most leagues before this draft. Um, I it's gonna be kind of funny because I know that I spent a, a bit of time poo pooing him. But Najah Harris is an up for me because he got a landing spot that guarantees he's going to get a ton of usage. My concern is the volatility. But I think that if you were drafting before the draft, you had to take guys like Chase and Pitts above Najah just because Najah could could have ended up in in a nightmare landing spot somehow. And, and Chase and Pitts were nightmare landing spot immune, except for like if Pitts had ended up uh, in uh, Detroit. I've been really worried about that with the, the dual tight end problem. Uh, but Naja, Naja ending in a spot that's like he's guaranteed to get used. I, I've joked, who cares if he averages 3.8 yards of carry if he gets 300 carries, right? So there, there's that opportunity that he, the line could be terrible and they're just running and running and running and running. And he's still producing. So I, I, I think Naja is, again, before the draft versus now, he's really locked in. He's, he's probably the, almost definitely going to be the 101 in the vast majority of one quarterback leagues. Yeah, hard to disagree with that. Uh, who do you have that – go ahead. Oh, you know, you. Who do you have that – I assume Naja was your number three riser. I know. So four and five were Sermon and Carter combined. Three was Palmer. Two was Naja. Number one is Trey Lance, and I think it's got to be Trey Lance because um, we thought he could really potentially fall a bit if if the draft was going Lawrence Jones, uh, sorry uh, Lawrence Wilson, and then Jones. Like Lance could have fallen a bit, and there were some people thinking maybe Lance ends up in New England, right? Maybe New England trades up a couple spots, and and that would be a much harder spot, I think, for Lance to show out right away in but the fact that he landed where he did like he has vaulted to a lot of people's number two now in in superflex uh, you know mine uh for sure and a lot of people are looking at him as, as the two and that's just an absolute skyrocket versus where he was because again if you were drafting before the draft or you were throwing darts the fact that mac jones could have ended up in san francisco would have had you really worried about Lance's landing spot and where he could be. Like maybe the Falcons take him and he sits for two years behind Matt Ryan, right? Like that could have been a nightmare sort of situation. So he's definitely the number one up for this, uh, for the pre-draft versus post-draft. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, that, the landing spot, the opportunity, it just, the stocks just boomed. Um, speaking of Lance, though, because he is your QB two. Uh, Chewy was curious as to why you don't have Zach Wilson there and have Trey Lance there instead. Yeah, I think um, the reason I'm going to have Lance up well above Wilson is because, and I don't want to sound like I'm just kicking the Jets, but I think it's organizational integrity. I've got, you're, when you're building around a quarterback and the top three teams are all making the deliberate decision to build around a quarterback, I'm looking at what the Jets have, who's running the ship, how the Jets... The front office is a problem for the Jets. It's not been just Gaze. 
versus San Fran already has a foundation built. So if I had to say, you to say, hey, you know, June, one of these two guys absolutely implodes and the other one does great. Well, I've already seen the Jets have had no problem making their quarterback implode. So they could do it again with Wilson. And, and the second factor in this too was that while Lance hasn't really had competition, neither has Wilson. So I don't think Wilson has any leg up on Lance as far as the competition question. Uh, so it, for me, it really comes down to who do I trust? I trust Lance's weapons more. Uh, and I trust that Lance is already going into a system that is built to make it easy for him to accumulate stats by easy throws and receivers doing a lot with it. Understood. All right. That wraps up all the questions that we have, and I think that wraps up pretty much everything. Uh, are there any other, any other talking points you want to hit on before we kind of wrap this up? No, I just uh, I want to say I really appreciate the chance to get to, to chat with you, Uncle Cheese, and <laughs> you, uh, uh, to just throw my thoughts and uh, process out there. I think this Discord has uh, really been a great community to help people uh, you know, check their own thoughts and their, uh, their processes and learn and grow. And I think for, for sure, anybody that uh, has you know, gotten involved in conversations here has probably learned and improved their own process. Uh, one of the things that I always look at is uh, I think that this Discord motivated Nick to his uh, to do his running back project uh, that Draft Capital. And, and I, I bet, I guarantee that he would say that that's really helped him uh, in his evaluation. So my thing would say is if, if you're out there and you've enjoyed time in this discord, um, use it to, to build a process for yourself too, so that you can start getting in here because the more you're thinking through it too, versus just uh, relying on the group think, I think the better you're going to be at evaluating because everyone's league is different. Everyone's league economy is different. Everybody's league's drafting styles are different. So when you build your own strategy and you look at look at it through the lens of knowing your league's economy, knowing you know, knowing that there's a guy above you that just doesn't like taking running back three over wide receiver one, right? Like if you know those sorts of things, use the knowledge that of your own league plus what you get here to then build a strategy. Absolutely. And I, I want to say I appreciate you taking the time to, to come here and one to to share your rankings with us, to put it, putting in all this time that you clearly have, this this spreadsheet is awesome. Um, then taking the time also to, to speak on, speak on it, uh, explain your process, why you have guys where they are. Uh, it's it's definitely a help. And to echo what you were talking about earlier, uh, the Discord has definitely been a huge boon uh, to helping my dynasty teams. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much all we have. Um, yeah, I, I did yeah, just drop the rankings in uh, the the chat. Um, it's two tabs. You've got a one quarterback tab and the super flex tab, and I've got uh, a long list of a uh, thirty-one, no, sorry, thirty-five guys that don't make my top fifty. Um, every drafted skill position guy is in that non-ranked group, um, as well as. Um, undrafted guys that are on like Mike Clay's top 80 list. So I've got a lot of guys out there 
Um, especially for deeper leagues, or if you want somebody that you want to throw a dart at to be a little bit off the beaten path, uh, take a look at those guys. But uh, again, appreciate you having me, uh, Leroy, um, and definitely looking forward to uh, uh, seeing how our uh, rookie drafts shape up and looking forward to seeing this community show you know how they got steals and different things like that. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm sure your rankings will be a, a, at least partial reason for some of that. Uh, and also you can catch June's rankings dropping in the Dynasty sub tomorrow morning, uh, or you can obviously hit them up here pretty much any time. Uh, that's going to do it for us. June, again, thank you. And uh, that's it. We'll catch you guys on the server. Sounds good. Have a good night. Two man.